I said, no, no, you don't understand. I came back here. You asked for ideas. I came back here with an idea. He said, yeah. He said, but I've been waiting for you. Hey guys, welcome back to Anchor Devoted. I'm Pastor Jer. And I'm Pastor Joseph. Whoa, 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 whoa. And we are welcoming you back again to Pastor Friday, where we're going to sit down again in just a moment with another pastor uh, to find out what God's story is in their life. Dave, would you do an introduction as this is someone who I know is special to you? He is. I'm not going to pretend he's not. Um, that's a lot I could say. Dr. Burry is a, an amazing counselor, amazing pastor. Um and an amazing man. I love him dearly. He is my father-in-law. He's a friend. Um, and um, I look forward for you all getting to know him a little bit like I get to know him and hopefully get a surprise here and there. I want to hear something I don't know. So we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good to have you, Dr. Murray. Welcome to Anchor and Devoted. Thank you so much. Good to be here. So the first question that we generally ask is, how did you, uh, how did you come to the Lord? That all happened, yes, when I was in elementary school, um, and um, I was at that time attending a Lutheran church, and. I met, um, I guess she was an intern, maybe, um, and really enjoyed talking to her and hanging out with her around the church. And, and in the Lutheran church, they have what they call Luther League. Mm -hmm. On Friday nights, we get together, and at well, that time, I don't think pizza was in. We had something some kind of junk food <laughs> 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 um, and played games and the like, but, but it was during those years um, that I, I felt um, for the first time, I felt like I wanted to be in ministry. And then I guess after I finished, you know, I had the catechism class and right. And then they sprinkle you. And it was it was during that time. I was always around church. Um, so it wasn't one of those aha moments when, you know, you've not been someplace and, and all of a sudden you discover this new world. Church was my world. Um, right. First in Baptist church with my mother and father. And then with my cousins and my brothers, I'm aunt in the Lutheran church. So it was almost like a given. Oh, that's, I don't know if it's always a given. There's some people that question it. They've been in church all their lives. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, there's a whole, I was like, time out. There's a whole bunch of people where yeah. I don't yeah. know if they're going to make the cut. They go to church. Yeah. But they don't, I don't think they know him. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, it and it was um, one of those things where and I, I remember talking about it in Sunday school with my Sunday school teacher, Mr. 
Mr. Hextall. That's amazing. 65, <laughs> 66 years ago. Talking wow. about it with my Sunday school teacher. Wow. And I told him the experience that I had. I said, somebody touched me uh, when I was, I think I was taking a shower. And I told him that, that someone had touched me. Mm. And I felt, I told him what it felt like. And, and he said, he, he, he started asking me questions. And, and that's when you know, the, the answer that we arrived at was that God had touched me. Wow. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad this, this episode so far, that was a little scary there, Dad. Casper <laughs> <laughs> was in the shower. <laughs> just, just for a moment. I didn't know who was in the shower with you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. When you say someone touched me, it's like... Yeah, <laughs> I was trying to make sense out of out of the experience that I had. So were we. So he, so he talked me through it, and um, yeah, that's Boy. pretty cool. It's, there there mm -hmm. clearly was a understanding of who God was. There was this moment where you placed your faith in Him, even if it is more God, you know, rec helping you understand who he is through this touch. That's, mm -hmm. that's special. And the fact that you can remember so clearly now is humbling. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think Absolutely. that's one of those things that's unique about um, the Christian walk is that um, for some people, it is uh, this moment that they remember based off of the date and the time and all sorts of stuff. Whereas for others, it's no, I remember being like myself on the side of Route 50 with my mm -hmm. mom, you know, talking about who God is and my desire to want him. Like, but I couldn't tell you the day. I know how old I was. I could tell you it was summertime. And so it's just, it's pretty cool to hear that you, I've never heard this story. So I'm glad we're getting yeah, to well, it. No one's ever asked me. So. <laughs> I'm glad, glad you yeah, share it. Yeah, you know, that's not the first time this has happened on the podcast, and I am glad that we're asking too. I'm glad that we're making a record, not just for you, but of uh, of a few different people now whose stories yeah. haven't been told this way or who, you know, where it, something's come out and, and it's someone that Dave or I have known for a long time, and all of a sudden a story comes out that we've never heard, and it's like, wow, I, I'm glad that we took the opportunity to to ask. This is really cool. Yeah. And so what was the journey like after that, after the being touched in the bathroom? I'll let that go. In the shower. <laughs> in the shower. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, you're letting it go. It's clearly, exactly. it's bad. just flown the coop. Yeah. Uh, there, were, there were times when I did things that were, special but for, but for the most part it was it was just you know being a kid and and doing stuff around the church um, i actually preached my first sermon when i was 11 11 or 12 somewhere in there okay um, back up 
So how did that come to be? Was that a, I feel like I'm called to be a pastor or is this just one of those things where every kid has to preach a sermon? No, uh, every year for um, Children's Day. See, back then they had a Children's Day. And the pastor asked me if I wanted to do the sermon. And I said, yes. I think I still have it. Um, and one day I got up and I did. Of course, I had to practice with him. Oh, right. for sure. Um, you know, but um, but yeah, that was that was the highlight hmm. at that time. The rest of the time, I was doing things, singing in the choir. Um, I went to a Christian camp. Mm-hmm. Camp Jolly Acres. <laughs> I love Christian camp names. <laughs> well, it was Christian camp where that time my um, two cousins, Edward and Lawrence, were camp counselors when I started there. And I didn't know how to swim. So they were going to teach me how to swim. And Lawrence, Lawrence picked me up, tossed me in, tossed me in the pool. <laughs> oh, no. Got to love family. Yes, yes, he did. Oh my goodness. And I learned how to swim. <laughs> but my my brothers, both of my brothers became camp counselors. I, I didn't. Um because at I Camp Jolly Acres. Camp Jolly Acres in Whitehall, <laughs> Maryland. And and even though it was a Christian camp, people weren't Christian like in many of um my uh my brother middle brother, Joe, was a counselor. And when he was a camp counselor, none of the none of the guys would sleep on the same side of the room with him. So he was basically by himself. They would sing songs that they knew would, would offend him. And so sounds like a great Christian camp. Oh, real, real Christian. I remember my my uh, one of the, the camp counselors was a guy named Bob Scott, was legendary coach at Johns Hopkins, mm-hmm. lacrosse coach. There were things that, that happened where it became apparent to me that um, my white brothers and sisters thought that we were all equal. It was just that the white kids were more equal than me. And when I complained about certain things, um, nothing would happen. Mm. And and so, um, yeah, mixed emotions about being there. Uh, but overall, you know, it was a good experience. I, I learned how to get along with uh, with people who um, didn't necessarily want to get along with me. And you know, we were kids, and mm. so. Uh, that was Camp Jolly, Jolly Acres in Whitehall, Maryland. See, those things stick. Um, you know, is it the trauma that makes it stick? <laughs> Obviously not the camp. It's still not around. <laughs> oh, yeah, way back. Way back machine. <laughs> <laughs> so so, so well, how did you get into ministry then? Or how did you well, get where you are I, now? Yeah, you know, I... I wanted to go into ministry, and I only applied to one school. 
it was University of Maryland. And I found out that they didn't have anything close to ministry because <laughs> it's a state school. <laughs> and, and so I went back home and I talked to my pastor. I said, look, I want to go into ministry, but they don't have a major. And he said, well, you like people. So just um, major, major in something that has to do with people. So that left me with sociology and psychology. Okay. And and I decided to go to psych and major in psych. And um, and of course, when I, when I finished, I wanted to go to grad school. Well, I was torn between grad school and law school. And I got a graduate assistantship at, at University of Maryland. So I stayed there. And I was okay. working with a program, special program there. Matter of fact, uh, the person that started it, a woman by the name of Dr. Julia Davidson, who became my mentor. And I, I, I spent so much time with her that my um, parents asked her if she wanted to claim me on their income on her income tax because <laughs> because I was always with her, um, mm. and she hired me for the summer and then she gave me a job in the fall right on through that that was when i was an undergrad she mm -hmm. gave me a summer job and then i hired me as an, an admin an admin aide um, mm -hmm. and when i finished undergrad she offered me a graduate assistantship so okay. i just you know and i left there and i went up to cornell while at cornell um I still had an interest in ministry, but I wasn't exactly sure of how I was going to do it. During that time as you were in, you know, finishing your, your graduate degrees, mm -hmm. were you involved in ministry at that time or were you just involved in church as a, as a lay person? Um, well, I was, I was actually out of state, not out of state. I, I, I left. I stayed on campus at University of Maryland, College okay. Park. So I was involved only in terms of going to church. Mm -hmm. um, the church that we had on campus was uh, different. I wasn't accustomed to having somebody playing guitar, okay. you know, acoustics guitar and singing folk songs and that kind of stuff. That's sure. what they did at the Newman Center, the uh, Catholic priest. Um, and the Baptist church, which was right down the street, didn't exactly want us <laughs> in the church. Oh, wow. uh, so, so we ended up starting a choir um, and starting our own little church um, mm. and got the, uh, got the university to acknowledge that we, we deserve to have somebody too. We would have services on Sunday, mm -hmm. um, most Sundays. Um, so we, we made our own thing. We did our own thing. Even though for many of us, um, you know, it was the first time you could stay out all night <laughs> because you were away at college. You know? Right. And, and what I found was that 
what my parents told me was true. There's nothing out there. <laughs> I remember the first time I stayed out all night, I was so bored. <laughs> I couldn't wait to go home. You know, we were sitting in a car half the time, riding from one party to another, and then, then just sitting there talking. And I, said, I could be in my room. Um, but ministry-wise, I think that the kinds of things that I got involved with at the church, singing in the choir, mm -hmm. um, and um, doing some stuff on campus uh, with other students, helping other students out. And about what year was this? That was way back. That was 19... Uh, 1968, 1969. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so when did you start serving in the church? Or when did you start serving? I know you've, I mean, you've was, done a lot of things. That um, was when I moved to California. Mm -hmm. um, I started working at University of Southern Cal. Joined uh, First Baptist Church. And no, I'm sorry, Second Baptist Church in Los Angeles, Thomas Kilgore, Dr. Thomas Kilgore, mm -hmm. who um, was a very well known individual at that point. I mean, he was in the civil rights movement. Mm -hmm. um, matter of fact, on the you know the the footage that they show from the March on Washington, he's there in the background behind Martin Luther King, used to babysit Martin Luther King, he said, but joined his church and basically got involved with the programs that they have for kids, uh, some of the gang members. We tried to get the gang members to come mm -hmm. to church and work with them. Um, and then they, some folks wanted him to retire. You know, churches go through their, their their changes. And we left and went over to a different church, a church called First AME, um, which was pastored by um, Chip Murray um, and um, got involved there. We used to do lock-ins where we would bring kids in um, on Friday night and, you know, have pizza and they could dance or whatever, have parties and and then Saturday, we would have a workshop with them. Um, and that was a safe environment for them. And at the same time, we had a chance to talk about whatever, whatever we were, we had as the topic. Um, and one Sunday, the pastor said, you know, I can always decide what I think you need to hear, but I'd like to know what you want to hear. Okay. And so I went back to his office after service, and I said, Pastor, I've got a couple of ideas. He said, good. He says, what is it? So I explained to him what I thought would be helpful for people. And he said, okay, so when is your first sermon? <laughs> I, said, I said, no, no, you don't understand. I came back here. You asked for ideas. I came back here with an idea. He said, yeah. He said, but I've been waiting for you. And I said, okay. To do what? He said, he said, I've been waiting for you 
He said, now old timers will tell you, because you've got the mark on you. He said, yeah, I've, I've been waiting for you to come back here because you've got the mark. You need to go ahead and, and accept your call. And I did. I, I start. I wrote a sermon. Matter of fact, I preached several times. And that mm-hmm. became something that he put into place, uh, I guess, maybe once a month. Uh, he would have one of the young people preach. That's when I did my rap on Jesus, the, rap, the sermon called The Rap on Jesus. And I rapped from the pulpit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, and to this day, my son knows, knows that song. Um, but that's when I started preaching. And he was getting things lined up for me to go to seminary. And that's when I ran back here to the East Coast. Um, because I, I thought I was ready, and but at the same time, you know, I had some other plans. So we moved back to the East Coast, and I went on a retreat with my brother's church. We went up to some camp up in the mountains, and while we were there, the the, the leader of the uh, Retreat said, I want everyone to just take time. Can't talk to anyone. Go out, spend time by yourself. So I'm I'm doing what I was asked to do, and I'm walking up this hill. And even when people would walk by, you couldn't say, how's it going? Or they would just walk by. So walking up the hill, and this one guy comes down, and he has on a plaid. Well, it was played like lumberjack shirts. Mm-hmm. And he said, have you seen, I can't remember who he was looking for, but I knew the person that he was talking about. Um, he said, have you seen him? I need, to, I need to find him. And I said, no, I haven't seen him. Okay, so, so he's walking, and he walks ahead of me. Okay. Well, I continue up the hill, and the person that he's looking for comes around the corner. And I said to him, did you see that guy, there was a guy looking for you? He said, who? I said, he couldn't have missed him. He was just, he, he, he was in front of me, and he was walking to you. There's nothing, no place he could go. He said, nobody's been up here and i said okay (laughs) (laughs) and then i went to this one section where this guy said he liked to go because when he went there there was always something once he when he was in the presence of the lord he could feel it because this this wind would come up and he described a couple things so I went to that spot, and sure enough, everything that he said would happen started to happen. And that's when I said, okay, fine, I hear you. <laughs> and when we went, went back down the hill, I told my brother, I think, I think it's time for me to go ahead and accept my call. So well, I did. 
had you finished your uh, your graduate degree at this point? Yeah, I had. So you, well, you finished your graduate. I degree. had been to teaching. seminary. Okay. I, I I did uh, my master's at Maryland, then I went up to Cornell and did the PhD, and then we were out on the West Coast. Okay. For twelve years, and then moved back here, and once I accepted my call, I went back and I sat down with my pastor. And I told him, and he said, okay, I'll set up a meeting with the deacons. And I met with the deacons, and they examined me, and then they set me aside, which is the way they used to do it when I was coming through. Um, they, I went back, set me aside, and decided how they, if they were going to move how they were going to, to work things out with me. And then I went to seminary. So when, when you say they set you aside, you mean they, they pulled you out of the conversation at that point? Just, no, they, or did they, 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 I'm no longer, I'm no longer in the pew, but I'm not in the pulpit. Okay. I'm, I'm, they set me aside for self-examination, right. reflection, um, they would be monitoring what I was doing to determine if, in fact, um, I should be in ministry. So and then I went to calling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How so, long did that last? Uh, they sent me, I had to sit for a year, 18 months, something like that. Did that get, was that, uh, this was, you expected this, it was the norm for you, but did that, was that something that was difficult to abide through to wait uh, an amount of time that maybe you were, maybe you knew how long it was going to be, maybe you didn't, but just to wait while you knew there was a calling, but you knew others were evaluating and waiting to uh, sort of sign off on what God had impressed on you. It, it wasn't, it wasn't difficult for me because um, I was busy. Okay. You know, they, you know, I, I still, you know, worked around the church, worked with Sunday school, worked with uh, outreach programs, all that kind of stuff. So it, it was, uh, it, it wasn't difficult. It was frightening sometimes because uh, there were times when the pastor would ask me to, to assist him and he would, Ask me to pray. Mm -hmm. I was terrified of praying in public. I had, I'd never done that. I, I didn't have to. It took a while for me to get accustomed, you know, because I I kept thinking it's got to be a formula, <laughs> and there is. <laughs> Just let go, let God, and let Him lead. But. Um, yeah, that that was the, that was very difficult for me initially. So when they when the deacons came back and approved your calling, what was the next uh, what was the next step for you? Well, like I said, they they, they set you aside, and then I, I went on to seminary, mm -hmm. and uh, and that was enlightening because 
I thought I would be around around a lot of folks who, um, um, well, you know, around professors who, who uh, were like-minded. Yeah, like-minded, but uh, they told us, uh, they said, the first thing we need to do is take take your Jesus away from you. Um, and I didn't I didn't get it until we started classes and, and got into it a little more. Okay. Because what I found was that there were so many people that came with so many versions of of this man called Jesus. Um and and they they got us to to see things that I had not seen before. For example, um, one of the professors on homiletics, um, he said, take the Bible. So the guy picked up the Bible. He said, drop it on the desk. So he drops it. And and then it, you know, it opens up. He said, okay, put your finger on a verse. Put his finger down. He said, read it. And the guy read it. I mean, he read, you know, like a, the, a, the paragraph. Mm-hmm. And then the professor preached from what was there. And he said, first thing you need to remember is that God doesn't need you to, how did he put it? God doesn't need you to determine what his word is saying. He needs you to let his word speak. Um, he said the problem that a lot of ministers have is that they never let God speak. They always take it and they do it whatever way they want. He said, let the text talk. When you let the text talk, then the text will take you to places that you've never been. It'll show you things that you've never seen. And so that's that's one of the things that stands out for me from seminary, uh, and you know there were we had quite a few. Matter of fact, most of the class at one point was females, which was shocking for me. Uh, and some of them knew that when they went back to their home church, they wouldn't be able to preach. They could only do like Christian ed. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, that's, that's a little crazy. I said, if you if you are being charged with the formation of children, you know, providing a foundation, a firm foundation for, for the children in the church through Christian ed. Why am I not able to allow you to preach? I mean, it, it made no sense to me, but that was the tradition in several of the churches. So you received your calling and then you mm-hmm. went to seminary and then you went and joined the Black Ministers Conference of Montgomery County? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, uh, after I finished seminary, um, there was an opening 
at the church and I applied. And I was I was selected and called to be the assistant pastor. And then I just stayed at the church. I stayed at people's for ever. Uh, it seemed like seven and a half years. Um, and the pastor died and I ended up moving to another church, to First Baptist of Silver Spring and stayed there until we got into the new building. Uh, and then my next move was to serve as president of Black Ministers Conference of Montgomery County. Well, I was second president. The way they work is you just move up each okay. time the term ends. So I started as second, uh, second vice president, then moved to first vice president, now I'm president. Uh, and I remained active in the conference. I, I, I do things with, uh, well, I was doing things with DC Baptist Convention served on their board. But this new role as the uh, president of Black Ministers Conferences is exciting for me because it gives me a chance to do some things that I've always wanted to do, to think outside the square and um, not have to be worried about whether or not the deacons will approve or the trustees will approve. Because they are not. <laughs> it's just just my um, executive board. So what, for the new believer, what would you want to say to the new believer that they should know? They came to Christ six months ago, six weeks ago, even six years ago. They're still young in the faith. What do you wish you had known or what was shared with you that really was life-changing? Um, one or two things that you would like to share to share with them. Several things. One, be prepared to take a stand. And sometimes that means being prepared to be by yourself. Hmm. Um, I, I, one of the things that my parents always taught us was that there were certain things that God wanted us to do, and, and just because your friends didn't want to do it didn't mean that it was something that you didn't have to do. Um, and so that meant taking a stand when I knew that something was wrong, being willing to stand up and say, no, this is wrong, I can't participate. And what I found was that my friends didn't consider me to be, quote, you know, a church dude. Um, they really respected the fact that, that I wouldn't do certain things. And so I learned that, that standing up for what was right uh, was okay. Have to continue to study. You know, I mean, the... The Bible is, is one of those books where today you can read a story and it'll mean one thing to you. Five years from now, you read it and it means something else to you. You have a question, Jerry? I do, but I want you to sort of land the plane here. I'll ask a question. If the question fits, I'll keep it. Otherwise, I'll, I'll pull it. Um, I was going to wrap it up so you can ask your question. <laughs> <laughs> so... 
this is this is not geared towards a new believer, but I am very curious. And honestly, I'm not sure how many opportunities I'll have to ask someone who has lived your life experience. Yesterday, Pat Robertson died. Um, you were living and ministering in the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area through the civil rights movement, through um, the religious right, through a whole bunch of um, different ways of engaging Christians with culture, Christians with society. And I was, I'm just curious to know what your experience was, what your perspective is um, on, you know, the last 50 or 60 years, how has the church done? What lessons do you think the church should have learned that it missed? What lessons do you think it God was teaching that it picked up on? How much time do we have? That's what I said. I don't know if it'll fit, but I'm really curious. I think the church has done, uh, it depends on what, what area of life you're talking about. Some instances, I think the church has done quite well. And others, I think the church has, has missed the mark completely, dropped the ball, um, forgotten exactly what the church is supposed to do. Um, case in point, I, I tell people, you know, I think the only difference between progressive and conservative folks are the number of letters in the name. <laughs> because they both believe what they believe and refuse to believe anything other than what they believe. And what they believe is often determined not by the text, but by society. Case in point, the whole movement to have Roe v. Wade overturned um, was one where quote, people were concerned about um, child and, and you, you shouldn't be killing a child. And when does life begin? All of that. And, but at the same time, if you want to protect that child so that that child can be born for the first time and you're a Christian, then that's not the first, that's not the birth that, that I really need to be focusing on. I mean, yeah, that's one to make sure that you, you get here, but to get to Christ, you've got to be born again. And the same folks who want to fight for me to be born that first time could care less once I'm here. And they refuse to do things that prevent me from making it to that point where I can make a decision to accept Christ. So you, know, you talk about gun violence, when you talk about uh, food deserts, homelessness, all kinds of things that can wipe me out. They're not there. You know, I don't think church has done a great job in terms of race relations either. Uh, don't want to talk about it. Uh, you know, I think the the I have friends um, and the reason you've got guys who 
like you and Dave go way back mm-hmm. and you have a, a real relationship and you can talk about the real world with one another. Um, and see, when I was growing up, folks wanted to talk about things as long as I was saying what they wanted to hear and they were feeling comfortable. Um, sure. There are people who will not talk to me to this day because I went to the March on Washington when the, uh, when Farrakhan had the one million men march. And I was there. You I was there. Yeah, you I was there. there. I, I, I could there. care less about Farrakhan being the one that called for it. I agree. I, it had nothing to do with him. <laughs> I was looking at the issues around getting black men to become good fathers, to you know, to to take care of their families, uh, and so that's what I was focused on. Well, well, one of my quote friends stopped speaking to me mm. because her community didn't like him. She was a Jewish young lady. Um, and so she stopped speaking to me, said, if I went, we could no longer be friends. And I said, well, that means our friendship was conditional. Because the two of you can talk about stuff. don't have to agree, but you can at least talk about it and, and remain friends because that's what friends are. Unconditional friends are. And that's something the church hasn't been a, been able to do, as far as I'm concerned. Hmm. You know, um, they want to be multi. Some churches say they want to be a multicultural church, and they're not they're not ready for that. And I anybody who says, you know, if a, if there's a church and it's all white, then that means they don't want any other people there. Who cares <laughs> if it's all white or all blue or all pink and they're doing what God has called them to do and they love God and they and they are accepting other people of other people but they don't go out and round them up and bring them in to justify themselves um, there's nothing wrong with that as far as I'm concerned and there's some people who I think are more suited to be in that kind of an environment Sure. Just like black folks want to be in a black church. Well, does that mean I don't want to be around white folks? No. So I, I don't know if that answers your question, but church has, has, has dropped the ball. <laughs> it, it does, and I appreciate you know. I appreciate you speaking to it. Would you <laughs> we Dave addressed a question to you to answer to, you know, speak to the young believers. What would you say to the guys <clears throat> like me or Dave or with even more years in ministry than, than we do, but less than you, what would you offer to your younger brothers in the faith who are leading churches, who have the responsibility for following the Lord? And as you have said, still have plenty of room to, uh, to be transformed. I would tell them to, again, focus on what, what God has called them to do. Focus on, the needs on the real needs of the people in the pew and don't get caught up in some of this craziness that goes on in terms of who has the biggest church 
players, most members, um, you know, and and those kinds of things that are that are that look at success being tied to stuff, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but to look at what God has called you to do and to look at the needs of the people in the pew and how you can meet those needs and also take what you have outside of the four walls of the church. Well, every time Dave sees me, he um, <laughs> he pulls out his card that you know, says how many members Grace has, and he says, how many do you have? And it's a point of contention between us, but we're working through it. Yes, that is that is that is what we do. We, we, we measure our members in height, and right. width, and depth. Put them all on the scale. <laughs> I was at a, at a cookout, and, and this guy was excited about his new church, and and he was he kept putting the number of members that they had out there. And after we were done, I said, you know. Not a single thing that was said had to do with the ministries. It was basically who's there and how many people there are. Yeah. Um, and how big the building is and and how much revenue. You know. So fine. <laughs> yeah. But that doesn't help the person who's homeless. Who attends your church mm-hmm. or who doesn't have a meal to go home oh, to right. eat or the person who doesn't attend your church the future saint mm-hmm. the yeah. one who's gonna come to christ but isn't being engaged because you aren't willing to actually love your neighbor as yourself that's one of my issues is where the church yeah. misses the ball we have the opportunity to help those that are less fortunate around us and we are not being intentional to serve. We're very much comfortable with other people serving us. But as far yeah. as taking the intentionality to figure out, okay, what is what will this take? How can I sacrifice unto self so that someone else can come to know him? Because I'm not here for the car, the house, or the money. I'm here mm-hmm. so that others might know him. But yeah, I remember a guy used to talk about in his prayer. He would talk about, uh, you know, the we've been so blessed when you see the parking lot, you see the cars that are up there. And he starts naming the, the different kinds of cars that are in the parking lot. <laughs> uh, and, and basically he was just, he was saying, you know, we know we've been blessed because we have this stuff. And he never got around to we know we've been blessed because we've been able to feed these people, help yeah. that community, even though we were doing that. I mean, but I just thought it was interesting that he chose to focus on the stuff um, as opposed to the different ministries that were there. You both pointed out the different people that get lost. It's also the person who's sitting in the pew right then, that Sunday, who is just gone through a divorce or who has just lost a child to a disease mm-hmm. or who has just lost their job, who it's really yeah. easy to see the people inside the church as 
just another name to go on a roster to help me fill out my ministry so that I've got enough volunteers and can carry on. And um, what you're pointing there, there's to some you. churches that would, and I, I didn't join this particular church, but they wanted to know your income because based on the amount of money you made, yeah. they would determine how much money they should get from right. you. Um, and yeah, I, I, I just felt like that was, wasn't, you know, what can we do for you? What are you in need of? Um, you didn't talk to me about giving, but at the end of the day, I'm not going to show you my tax papers, but you know, my income tax forms with how much money I made. Um, that's none of your business, as far as I'm concerned. Some people may think it is, but and I, I guess, I, I mean, I guess your relationship with God and this, I mean, we've talked about this a number of times as far as transactional church versus relational. If you're giving out a relationship, then it's not about the percentage. It's about what God is putting on your heart. It's also about what is the vision that God has put before you to participate in. It's a relationship thing between both God and the people he surrounded you with. If the relationships are all transactional and it it is just, hey, how much do you make? And we want our cut. How much are you going to get me? <laughs> That, that that is not what God is calling anyone to. Um, and I'm sure the preacher was amazing, but that's not what he's calling his people to. Um, yeah. you know, the whole idea of going to a church is you should be in a place where you're known and shepherded and are encouraged mm -hmm. to worship God. Like worship God, not just give money to him, but actually give your whole life and be challenged to grow weekly. Not just I come, I show up, I've eaten, I left, I'm good but you should be pushed to grow. And again, that's not transactional. That is very much relational. Um, mm -hmm. You're forever a child of God, forever in your brokenness until we stand in his presence and are fully made new. But in that process right now, it's hard being needy. And that is something that we don't encourage in church, especially when we're talking about how much do you make? <laughs> that mm -hmm. is not <laughs> That is not encouraging a person to see themselves as in need of a savior, but instead the church is in need of them or something else. Yeah. We talked about this a little bit with Pastor Reeves and we talked about the difference between being a shepherd and being a butcher. You know, the way that you see your sheep really does get proven out in, in what, when you count them and how you're measuring them and how much they're going to bring into the fold when they uh, go out as a lamb chop or something. Mm -hmm. When you're, what you're, what you're describing it strikes me is if you're coming and asking me how much money I make because you're concerned about my soul, you're my shepherd, and you want to encourage me and challenge me to trust God in conversations with me about how I'm stewarding the finances and the opportunities God's given me, and you see me focusing more on myself, I think that's wonderful. That's shepherding. But if you're if you're coming and you're asking me to show me, to show you my by 1040 so that you can know how much I should be giving to you to the ministry. That to me speaks of someone who doesn't actually trust God to do the work that God's called him to. Going back to what you said 
that your professor said. Let God speak. Let God do the work. If I'm leading a church and I'm trying to figure out what my budget's going to be by getting together some sort of tax audit, I don't really think I can say mm-hmm. I'm trusting that God's going to provide for the call that God's given here. And uh, I think that's a word that church leaders need to hear because it's really easy to get caught up in the mission and to forget the one who gave us the mission also equipped us and is always standing by to accomplish the will. He doesn't need us. He certainly doesn't need my wallet. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that there are plenty of firms on wall street and out in Silicon Valley that can also go outside to the parking lot and start praising God for the Audis and the Bentleys and the Jaguars and the Beamers. I'm not going to go to church there though. Yeah. Two different things going on. Mm. Well, Dave, once again, yes. we found some hornet's <laughs> nests to kick. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Murray. Thank you, Dad. This was fun. Um, Thank you very much. This has been a true pleasure. And uh, for those who are listening, thank you, thank you. If you didn't listen and you fast forward it, rewind it, and listen to it again. Um, Yeah. Each story has been one where um, I think it proves out more and more how dynamic God is. Um, And so I want to encourage you to stay close to God. Now, my brother Jeremy is showing me a book because he wants to know if you've written anything so we can hype it up or if there's a website people can find you on or any place where people can contact you. Um, I do know one thing, if you're looking uh, for a good counselor, he does counseling. Um, So you can reach out to him for that. I don't know about anything else. That's go for it. No, that's all. That's it. That's I'm, I'm, I write in my head before I put it on paper and I've got a, a piece that I've been working on to try to explain to people what's going on right now. Um, Do you and, want people to reach you via grace as far as me referring them yeah, to that's, you? That's, or? That's, that's <laughs> you through grace. So, so if you want to get connected to him, especially for counseling yeah. or for speaking for public engagements, you yeah. can reach me, Pastor Joseph at grace.community, and I'll happily get you in contact with him. Um, That'll work. Yeah. And when that book gets published, we're going to have you back on to uh, discuss it. Okay. Sounds good to me. Well, there you go. Sounds Thank good. you so much for your time, Doctor. Good seeing you. It's wonderful to see you. Please, Don't please tell your wife I said hello. Yeah. It's been a while. It has been. All right.